Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around, you're in the right place. Okay, we've got a great show for you today. We've got the CEO of a company called Carbon Lighthouse, Brendan Milstein, and I'll read you their mission and then we'll go into a little bit what they're doing. They say, on a mission to stop climate change by making it easy and profitable for building owners to cut carbon emissions caused by wasted energy. We talk about a lot of different things in this episode. Specifically though, we start off with, and I just went right after it, is isn't fighting climate change anti-business because that's the narrative that I have seen over the years and continue to keep seeing is that, hey, you know, you either have to pick climate or you have to pick business. And I think Brendan has really found a unique balance of being very pro-business, thinking of the mindset of building owners who are financially motivated and finding solutions that can combat uh, climate change. And I think it's really cool. It, it's a huge undertaking that uh, they're going after on their mission. I mean, it's just the biggest mission I think you could probably uh, set out after. But anyway, I think you're going to like this one. Uh, we also talk about a handful of other things throughout the, the whole episode and multifamily, some trends, um, and even some down to the technicals of you know how this actually happens um, inside of hotel buildings or or luxury uh, and condo buildings. So I think you're like it. Kick back, enjoy the show. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. You know, this is a lot of fun. So we're live streaming on Facebook for those of you who are listening to the recording. Um, and I just tagged Brad and him and sent it to him. Say, hey, you got to listen to this interview. So let's see if he actually jumps in on it. But uh, we're having a, a fun time here, Friday afternoon, Friday evening, depending on where you're at. Um, as always, I want to start with the basics. Go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Great. I'm Brendan Milstein, co-founder and CEO of Carbon Lighthouse, and we make it highly profitable and easy for commercial real estate investors to cut their carbon footprint. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here, um, and I want to. I wanted to first, you know, you kind of already said it, but I wanted to repeat your mission back to you, uh, and then we're going to jump into. Uh, I just want to hit the. We're going to hit the nail on the head right off the bat. Um, oh man, it says unable to stream our meeting to Facebook. I knew that was going to break. <laughs> we're going to keep moving here um, anyway, and I might fix it uh, as as we're going. So. The mission is on a mission to stop climate change by making it easy and profitable for building owners to cut carbon emissions caused by wasted energy. Okay, the first question, is yeah. it caring about the climate anti-business? No, and this is a great question, which I couldn't be more excited to answer, actually. And one of the reasons I'm so excited to answer this is how much the world has changed in the past decade. And I don't mean just by cause or social nature, but I mean by economics and technology. And I think if you had asked this question in 2005, it was much harder to find ways that were profitable to reduce emissions. Whereas now, uh, probably a quarter to a third of our customers, we can make their buildings completely carbon neutral and do it while significantly increasing their profit 
with no out-of-pocket cost and where they don't have to take any financial risk because of the contract structure. Uh, so it's totally different. So, so uh, maybe help me understand. Why do I see... Because I mean, I hit you with this but right off the start. I didn't pull that out of nowhere. It's not like I invented that. I see this narrative over and over. So why yeah. is it that that's the narrative that's, that's run with? Sure. Uh, let's talk about some price changes. So solar power in 2010, the cost of solar power has come down since then 90%. Right. Uh, and wind has come down about 60%. So percents are not very tangible. So let's talk about a sweet pickup truck. A sweet pickup truck costs, call it 45 grand, right? So if that comes down in cost by 90%, that means what in 2010 cost 45 grand now costs $4,500. In other That's words, true. a really sweet pickup truck went from pretty expensive to incredibly cheap. And a pickup truck is very tangible and people love pickup trucks. So if that happened, everyone would know about it. Everyone would talk about it. Energy efficiency solar, wind, these aren't nearly as sexy as a pickup truck. I think solar panels are sexy. <laughs> so I'm maybe not the mass market there on that one. Yeah, but yeah. The, you know, the, the point is that this crazy price difference, price change, cost change happened. And if you're using numbers that are even three years out of date, like if you're using numbers from 2016, you're hopelessly out of date. So anyone who looked at solar in the past 10 years has totally irrelevant information compared to if they looked at it even two years ago or one year ago. So the world changed very suddenly and dramatically, and it is now very profitable to cut your emissions. And that's new compared to 15 years ago. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, that, and I, I, I appreciate you going into that. And obviously, you know, this is something that you have had to think about and, and look at to make the numbers work. So, so uh, fill in the blanks here. I, I understand the mission and what you guys are going after, but what's the actual service and product that you offer to the market at Carbon Lighthouse? Sure. Yeah. So let's, let's start with the contract because uh, I think that's the, the easiest place to cut through all the marketing hype. So we charge a fixed monthly fee. In exchange for that fee, we guarantee we'll deliver a dollar amount of savings that's above a certain threshold. So to put real numbers to this for, say, a hotel or something, we'll charge $100,000 a year. In exchange, we guarantee we'll deliver $250,000 a year uh, in savings to the hotel. Wow. Yeah, it's a good deal. <laughs> Why isn't everyone just signing up for this? What's the friction? What's keeping them? Is it the old narrative that they don't renew the look? Is there, you know, is it a high up front? Yeah. So uh, first off, everyone is signing up for this. So the the relevant statistics <laughs> here are uh, we've grown faster than Moore's Law for nine and a half years now. Wow. Uh, so we are now up to 125 people in four different offices and have eliminated the emissions of eight and a half power plants. Wow. Uh, we have made our clients, I think at this point, about uh, a quarter of a billion dollars in profit. Um, so it's, it's big money. And 90% of our clients that have completed work with us in one building take us to additional buildings in their portfolio to do work. Um, so we're growing. I mean, we have been engineering constrained on growth for the past two and a half years now. Uh, so a lot of people are signing up for this. 
Wow. That, I mean, that, honestly, that's far more than I thought it was going to be. Um, that, that, those are some really impressive stats. Yeah. Thank you. It's <laughs> less than we were hoping for. Climate change hasn't been stopped yet, but so oh, far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, or sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, keep going. You're, you're, you're doing great there. Okay. So people are signing up. There are a lot of reasons people aren't signing up more. And the reason I started with the contract structure actually is because that part is very important. And the way the energy efficiency industry has been going for the past half century um, is not how I just described. There is an awful lot of selling that happens around buy this product, it'll save you money, but the contract deliverable is the product. Or hire us as consultants, we'll save you money, but the contract deliverable is a report. This and is why it says on your website, we are, we are not consultants. We don't sell equipment, software, or dashboards. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So here's a bit of fun irony for you. We are a clean energy company. And when we were founding the company, we were looking around the world trying to figure out who had changed the way energy was used in the whole world in just a couple of decades. Because uh, that's all we have left to stop climate change. And the answer to this is not solar, it's not wind, it's not energy efficiency, it's oil and gas. In 1865, oil was basically non-existent. The first commercial oil well had been drilled five years before. And from 1865 to about 1885, oil went from nothing to a dominant force changing the world. And one company, Standard Oil, had something like 85 or 90% of total global oil trade flowing through its pipes. And Standard Oil is what changed the way the world used energy in just a few short decades. And say what you will of oil companies in general, and Standard Oil in particular, which did plenty of shady things, they did two things incredibly well. The word standard was a quality standard. If you went to any gas station in the world that was a standard oil gas station, you got the same Uh quality of product. And the second thing was they didn't sell you a pipeline. They didn't sell you a drill reg. They didn't charge you for a test well. They sold you oil. And when you go to a gas station, if you bring an empty gallon bucket and you fill it with, with what the machine says should be a gallon and it's half full, you have someone to sue. And that is the contract mechanism we were employing with Carbon Lighthouse which is we're not selling equipment, we're not selling maintenance. We have built an incredibly sophisticated patented software system. We're not licensing it. We sell a dollar amount of energy savings to clients. That's fascinating. That's a, it was it's, really it's, nerdy. I'm glad you thought it was well, fascinating. Here's the thing that's, that makes sense. And I, I appreciate the approach because this is where, like you, you said, cut through the, the marketing uh, hype on it. And obviously I'm a marketing guy. I'm a little bit of a hype guy. So I'm okay with that. That's why we're on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, what I picked up from the the uh, the website, and here I'm like losing my thought of where I was going with that. Um, well, shoot, I just kind of lost what I was saying right there. Um, we're not, oh, man. I gotta work my way back. Uh, it was on your approach of how you you guys sell it. Oh, yeah, it, it's because. There's got to be, we have to recognize, and I think you recognize this, is first off, the, the public sector hasn't found a solution. And, or, you know, can we even get them together 
to come to an agreement because it doesn't matter even what the solution was anything could they all agree on something <laughs> and, and you I, I think we all know the answer no it's just not going to happen you know we, we're seeing that over and over it doesn't matter how simple or complex the problem is okay so the private sector those who care want to take their their stab at solving what they see as a problem and so then okay how are you going to do it well there's got to be incentive and that's what you that's what you are bringing to the table it sounds like for the first time into the, the largest asset class in the world, commercial real estate. Am I yes. understanding that correctly? And how that works is if there's financial incentive, then, and then it can happen. You, you have that exactly correctly. And to tie that back to your very first question, which is, is it profitable to do this? If, right. you know, is capitalism something that can help save the world and stop climate change? I think the answer is very strongly yes. Mm. And what, figured out how to do here is by making it profitable for building owners to take action and making it easy to do so. We don't need to win hearts and minds. We don't need to agree with anyone. We don't need government utility and their utility incentives or tax incentives or regulations or anything like that. And building owners can and do make decisions very, very quickly when it is in their financial interest to do so. So Capitalism, say what you will, is incredibly efficient when the financial incentives are aligned. And that's what we're taking advantage of here so that we can become large enough quickly enough to stop climate change. We're not going to get into politics today, but your friends or people around you must constantly be confused on which way you vote. (laughs) (laughs) I'm delighted to hear you say that. It is very much part of a big tent strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So good on you. Um, (laughs) I think it's cool. I get the same confusion. So it's all good. Um, So I I would love to hear, so maybe you can describe to me, who is the ideal customer that should be picking up the phone, calling Carbon Lighthouse and say, let's get to work. The ideal customer owns as many square feet as possible of office buildings and hotels, uh, retail, industrial. Uh, in the U.S., so we don't work outside the U.S., Okay, and is someone who is very focused on making money and thinks about the world in the terms of risk and reward and financial returns. Is it because energy is deregulated in the U.S. that that's where you focused? No, it's because we can take someone's money who's not at the table. So <laughs> let, let me explain. The, Say that again. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. There's a climate reason and a financial reason we focus on energy. So we focus on buildings because in the U.S., commercial and industrial buildings are responsible for about uh, 30% of carbon emissions total. And that number is true globally as well. So it's this enormous section of global emissions and U.S. emissions. So that's why we focus on buildings. Uh, Energy is obviously responsible for that, but the... One of the reasons our business model has been very successful is that we are competing with someone for money who's not at the negotiating table. Namely, our source of revenue and the source of money for clients is taking money away from power plants. Mm -hmm. So when we say we're going to charge 100K a year in exchange for saving you 250K a year, the client's netting 150, we're netting 100. And you're the only one at the table. The power plant ain't there. That's exactly right. Oh my gosh, this is such a passive, mindless sale forever. 
So yeah. they don't even have to earn the business. There's nothing to earn. It's already put in place. Mm-hmm. Set it and forget. That's the ultimate rotisserie engine right there. The set it and forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Actually, a rotisserie engine is a really, that's a good analogy because the key thing there is that the chicken continues to spin right? You're not actually walking away and nothing is happening, which is a really important part of our technology. So our software is monitoring the data coming out of every building. And as soon as there's a problem, it flags it for one of the engineers on our energy performance team. And that's because we are guaranteeing the savings, we're taking the financial risk. If savings are less than expected, we write a check. So our software is monitoring the data. Yeah, it's, it's good software. Does anyone offer anything comparable to that? There, there are companies that will guarantee savings from lighting only, but there isn't anyone that does it for the whole building and we're targeting the whole building. Right. Uh, which is relevant too, because A, a lot of firms have already done lighting at this point. And then secondly, um, lighting, it's just such a small piece of the pie. The savings from it aren't aren't as meaningful. This is what I've heard about with, you know, people trying to figure out the smart hotel because, and it's a scenario that you only think about if you have to, if there's, you know, 400 rooms in a big, nice hotel, when do you turn on and off the heat? Well, never. You keep it on because, you, you know, no one wants to walk into the room super cold. This is, this is the difference between a nice hotel and, you know, the one alongside the highway. Motel, uh-huh. right? The motel you walk in, it's, you know, blizzard cold or it's blazing hot and you quick run over to whatever they've got in the wall and you turn that machine, you crank it full volume. But you know, if you're, if you're like me, I'm guilty. I've done this. You know, you turn on the AC, you're going to stay there for two days and you just, it stays blasting. Well, you're only sleeping there. So then you leave the room so that when you come back, it's really, really cold when you come back. So like this sounds like yeah. some of what you're doing is trying to find those ways of optimizing more than just the light bulbs, but the whole way through the hotel. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so then the software then, how is, how is, that, how is your software tying into those buildings? Like are there sensors everywhere or? So there's, there's a lot of things going on. So we put, for a big hotel, we might put 500 sensors in it. Um, so it's, it's a huge amount of, we get on average a thousand times as much data, uh, as a typical building management system or, uh, you know, other firms doing stuff with energy and buildings and a thousand X is easy to say, but for context, uh, the difference between the square footage of a typical house and the empire state building is about a thousand X or a more enjoyable analogy would be going the other direction. So your height I'll call you about six feet. Yeah, that's right on point. Right there it is. Exactly. Yeah. So if you were a thousand times shorter, you'd be roughly the height of a fruit fly, which is fine. You could walk up a wall because the tiny little, you know, what feels like texture would look like a ladder to you. So it's true. I've seen the movie, The Tick. Yeah, there you, <laughs> there you go. So a thousand X is, is easy to say, hard to do, but it's really important because it lets us make very accurate forecasts as to what will happen in a building and also do deep optimization that isn't otherwise possible. And so that's a fancy way of saying we turn things very slightly up and very slightly down every few minutes. So to give an example of this, yeah, so in your 400 room hotel, that unit on the wall is connected to a water system that's going to a boiler or cooling tower. 
And so what we can do is enable, you know, the fan in your unit to turn very slightly higher, lower, which, you know, you in the room wouldn't notice. And that has some impact on how much water we need to pump through, which has some impact at the boiler. And net, that'll save 25%. And then 10 minutes later, as people move around the building and the weather changes, the system makes a new automatic adjustment like that. Um, so it's kind of like getting your car tuned up, but automatically in every 10 minutes. Got it. Okay. So this kind of makes me think of like, you know, a lot of people have experienced this now if you drive any newer vehicle driving down the road that, you know, they've baked into the computer system to shut off the engine at red lights. And then the moment you hit the gas, it's kind of like the golf cart, which I, you know, kind of funny that the golf cart had gas saving measures before everyone's cars. <laughs> like we've figured out with golf carts, how to do this. And only now I've gotten around to doing it in cars, but you know, you push the gas and then it automatically ignites the engine again. And you're off to this, you know, off to the races, you know, slight delay, obviously. Yeah. And, but I mean, at the savings, you're talking about going from a lot of vehicles are now almost all of them are, you know, over 30 miles a gallon. And I remember having a Geo Metro, like that was a sacrifice you had to get, you know, for 30 miles a gallon. <laughs> you, uh-huh. a Geo. you know, now you can actually drive a midsize SUV. So you're taking that kind of approach, putting the software behind it and applying it to the large, I mean, buildings. I mean, that's just, what's the market? What's the, what's the total addressable market for that? Like how big is that? Yeah. So back to the it, analogy. That's sorry, a big math. That's, that just seems like a, a big number. Yeah, it, it is huge. So uh, back to the, the oil and gas analogy where oil has oil reserves. Uh, we look at the world through the concept of efficiency reserves. And so this is the dollar amount of value that's trapped in buildings. Uh, and so in the US, the efficiency reserves are about $100 billion per year. And at today's technology and prices, namely what we can do with our products and services right now, uh, we could get about $50 billion per year of that to split between ourselves and building owners and building occupants. Wow. So that's just the U.S. Um, so it's actually, it's, the U.S. I'm, is maybe 15% of carbon emissions. So it's but actually, that's, that seems like a high percentage. I mean, that's yeah. so... That's still, uh, those are big chunks. Those aren't small numbers, really. When they, I mean, you're looking at the gross number, I suppose, that that's a pretty big number. Yeah, uh, yes. My concern is that there's $7 trillion a year spent on fossil fuels. So if we capture all of the $50 billion a year, we're just getting started. Wow. What's the expansion plan international? Is that, is that in the cards or is that further down the line? Uh, both, but license the software we use internally to other engineering firms uh, in other countries. I see. Very cool. So uh, walk me through, uh, I- I'm curious, what are some of the, um, the markets that are taking to this right now? Because I'm, I'm just imagining, and this is my total guess, is that it's all luxury. In my head, I see luxury and I see major industrial. Those are the two uh, buyers I'd see right ahead in, in my head. But you tell me, because I, I want to hear if I'm right or wrong. Uh, fascinating. Uh, oh, I'm so curious. Why? Before I answer, why do you say that? Well, because um, large industrial, it's all about the unit economics. So it's incremental improvements on space because really what you have is you're making money on space. So, I mean, I'm sure, I guess in some like you know, plants with like, you know, assembly lines and things like that, you'd actually be going like, 
full on like meta to another degree of like how you power your machines and things like that. Sure. But um, I just think that uh, big industrial makes a lot of sense. And then with luxury, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's something that I've been trying to find like to crack the code of every, almost everything that's awesome and new and really game changing in tech tends to come in at luxury. And it's not because luxury is the only thing that's cared about. It's because it has to be economically viable. And until it can be so either readily available or cheap, it's very difficult to start downstream versus starting upstream. Um, Especially if you have to reinvest to build and it takes some time to really get that, you know, that, that going. So that's, I mean, that's, I don't know, that, that would be the thing that I would assume, but you tell me now I'm really interested. Tell me. What's the answer? Yeah, this is this is why Tesla started with an one hundred and ten thousand dollar Roadster, and you know has slowly over time worked its way down to a thirty five grand Model T or Model Three. Yeah, uh, Model T. <laughs> well, they should do one, that. Right? They bring the Model T back as an all electric. Tweet out Elon right now. No. <laughs> I mean, there goes their safety records, but. Well, they could, it could be a more like an armored Model T. Uh, okay. <laughs> so is that is that true? Is it luxury and large industrial? No, uh, it is not. So oh, okay. the, the key difference here is that we started extremely cost effectively. So the whole point of using sensors and controls and data and software is that we can drive 10 to 30% whole building energy savings without replacing any major equipment. Just by adding sensors and controls. Sometimes we have to swap some valves, but a valve's the size of your fist or something. It's pretty cheap. And because there's no major equipment, it's really cost effective. So we have a huge range of buildings. We absolutely have luxury. Uh, but we also have Class C office buildings. I think our oldest building was built in the 1890s. Whoa. And our newest building uh, was built in maybe 2016. Uh, Tesla is, in fact, a client. Um, so we definitely I did have- notice that. I saw that on the testimonials uh, page. Good on you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they take their building engineering as seriously as their car engineering. Yeah. yeah. So that, was, yeah. that was a very fun project. Uh, But yeah, so there's a huge range. And then in terms of product type, it's probably, call it 65% office and maybe 25% uh, hospitality and then another 10% industrial and retail. Got it. And do all of your clients, do they all have the solar uh, roofs too or? No. So we... Sorry, my my phone was ringing there. yeah. It came up scam likely. Nice. It's probably a scam. <laughs> we, uh, we're very financially driven. And so where solar makes sense, we do it. Okay. Uh, but where it doesn't make sense, we don't. And okay. so maybe 20% or so of our clients are in areas where solar makes sense without tax benefits, without incentives. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I know that the taxes on some of the solar stuff also gets c- kind of confusing. Uh, I've only heard some of it about what California does with certain houses. And, you know, obviously some of the, I think my biggest frustration is, um, you know, I was introduced uh, a little while back and 
walked right away from it the moment I heard it. And this is like a year and a half ago. It was a company looking for someone to help grow their lead gen business. And it was for some of the solar installations in California. And it was the lease arrangements that just were, uh, I don't know if you know anything about these, but these types of lease arrangements where basically people were stuck with the solar on the roof in overpriced lease agreements. They, they couldn't ever extract the, you know, there was no uh, back end value that they were promised. You know, right. it was like, you're selling like you're, you're like, uh, it just garbage stuff. Anyway, um, <laughs> I want to get caught up on that. Let's keep moving here. So um, I wanted, wanted to go into uh, and, and ask like, what are you doing that's helping you expand? So, I mean, it, you listed some numbers, you know, I, I always try to get a sense of how a company is doing. I, I look up their crunch base to see like some of their press, how much they've raised. You know, it looks like you guys, uh, from that perspective, I was like, okay, they're, they're doing something serious here. Uh, what's been driving that growth? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the, the repeat business from clients is enormous. Uh, so that that 90% number is really important. So the 90% of clients that have completed one building with us have taken us to additional buildings. Wow. Um, so, yeah. And so that's been a key driver because a lot of our clients are uh, very large. Uh, so Goldman Sachs, for example, is a client and they have a lot of buildings. <laughs> and there you go. Of, yep. Yeah, we have a lot of clients like that. Do you have the um, government on board yet? They are a little slower to move than, say, no. Goldman Sachs, <laughs> shockingly. I'd love to see, you know, uh, a reduction in our deficit, you know, just give them a, give them a call, say, hey, government, we, get, we got a project for you. We, we got you. We got you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make that happen, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they, they've been fast. Uh, Swig Company, for example, is a privately held, you know, family office that has 10 million square feet. So they're larger than many REITs, real estate investment trusts. Uh, wow. So, you know, the repeat business, I would say maybe 90% of our sales effort goes towards winning new customers. Okay. And about 80% of our business comes from existing customers taking us to more buildings. Wow. Wow. Good on you guys. I mean, I guess if, if, you know, you're talking about a, it's a, it's a smaller pool of potential customers when looking at all things real estate, but this is a more connected pool of customers. And, you know, it's not like you're talking about what lawnmower you bought over the weekend. You're talking about major initiatives saving significant dollars. And if I hear somebody tell me about, you know, they saved and we can, maybe we can talk about in a specific example, but looking on the site, you know, I was uh, in the, in the testimonials or the, the success stories as they're listed, I'm seeing success stories of up to a million bucks that building owners are going to save over the lifetime. Here's a, here's what looks like a pretty old building, a Wilson Meany flood building. Yeah. Uh, Savings about three hundred, wait, three hundred thousand, uh, or twenty thousand, or twenty cents per square foot. And there's over three hundred thousand square feet. So, yeah, like stuff like this. Like, tell me, and I was like, oh, oh, I know this building. Now that I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at it. Yeah, the one in San Francisco. I know this building. Okay, so, so yeah, I mean, like, fill me in. Like, give me an example of of one project you guys took on, and we it can be this one, but it can be another of you know. Uh, 
you signed the contract and then also how much you're going to save that, that building. Yeah, sure. Um, so let's use, let's use a building we did with Swig, which is on Miracle Mile. So on Wilshire Ave in LA okay. and class A office building, uh, about, um, it's a large building. So, you know, on the order of half a million square feet or so. Okay. And, uh, we are, I think I maybe a little less like 450 or something. And we were able to save them. Uh, we're saving them about 230 grand per year. Wow. Uh, so the 230 grand per year here is really relevant, particularly because of the way buildings are bought and sold. So mm-hmm. buildings, when they're sold, they're valued like a perpetuity. So all of the profit coming off the building gets a 10 X or 20 X multiple on it, depending on where the building's located. Um, so that particular building's location, uh, it gets um, not quite a 20x multiple, but something like a 16. So our 230 grand a year is worth about three and a half million dollars for that particular client in value. And so the upside for building owners is spectacular. If we work in just 30 buildings like that, we will have boosted Swig's portfolio value by $105 million. Yes, because overall, you're, you're, you're at a real level, you're impacting the net operating income of that building. Uh, yeah. I'm only seeing the full picture now because, I mean, you know, some of, these, some of these projects are probably bigger than just buying on cap rate, you know, but obviously they're you know, these are syndicates, these are partner deals, these are family offices. So internal return rate or rate of return is important to them. And all this improves when you're significantly reducing the fixed expense on the building on an annual basis. So yeah. whether they need to refi the building to go buy something else, whether they're trying to exit the building and improve how much they can exit at. I mean, all these things I'm seeing, I'm seeing the full picture now. That's, yeah, that's, you just, got it. Yeah, and we've had a number of clients actually list us and cap the value from our projects at disposition. Um, so Carlisle Group, for example, uh, mentioned, like they sold the building shortly after we had started uh, delivering NOI there uh, and were able to cap some of that. Um, Ellis Partners actually listed us in their offering memorandum. Uh, I believe Dostar Development did as well. Wow. Um, another firm. <laughs> this was amazing. I don't expect That's this great to exposure too. Like now you're getting in the listing mef- memorandums and, and yeah. the, the, the financial documents like, you know, performance inc- and perform, you know, improved by, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think our, our greatest victory, there was one building that sold before we had even implemented and they were able to cap the value from the project. So this was a building in Oakland. So it's a particularly hot market. I don't expect yep. everywhere in the country would be like this, but just having the opportunity to boost NOI in a way where the new landlord doesn't have to take any financial risk was enough for them to cap the value. Wow. That, that's pretty awesome. I can get on board with that. I love it. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, find find me some ways to do that. No money up front. Uh, let's get the savings and up the value. Um, let, let's jump into, I kind of alluded to this. So you guys have raised a little bit of money on this uh, so far. From what, what I'm pulling from Crunchbase, about $67 million, Is that right? Interesting. Uh, they're pretty close. We're at 73 and a half. Oh, come on, Crunchbase. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's, so uh, that's what actually, I get for paying for my my annual pro membership. I'm t- I'm sending it back. I'm I'm up in the ante. I'm going PitchBook. Uh, I don't think PitchBook has this number <laughs> correct. <laughs> You're better off with Crunchbase there. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, so so you know this right now. This um, you know, and it's been the topic. I I haven't had a chance to take a look at it, but I, I, Brendan Wallace just did a presentation about everything that's happening in fundraising, Cretech publishes, you know, the weekly this week in, in funding, um, you know, reports. And I don't want to just say like the, the market's being flooded with cash, but I talk about this on every show because it truly is, you know, a, a large amount of uh, uh, venture capital coming into prop tech and real, real estate tech. And I think everyone's got a little bit of a different take. And I, I'm curious, why do you think now is the time where, uh, venture uh, investors are seeing the light, so to speak, uh, investing in real estate tech. That's a great question. I don't know that I agree that they are. Oh, see, this uh, is why I asked. I, I do assume <laughs> everybody <laughs> agrees with this, but go on, keep, keep going. This is good. Well, let, let me be more specific. It's not that they're not investing. Uh, I am concerned that they are repeating their mistakes from clean tech 1.0. And oh. so clean tech 1.0 was when the venture community first got really excited about clean energy. And they saw the same massive market potential we see, $7 trillion per year spent on fossil fuels. Yep. Um, And they got very excited to try and disrupt it. And they invested in OptiSolar and NanoSolar and all sorts of high-profile crashes where early investors lost billions of dollars. Uh, My concern with the way PropTech is being done now, and I think Brendan Wallace is a very good exception to this because he actually comes from a real estate background. His LPs are all real estate organizations. Um, but the investments being made are concerned are being made without enough focus on the end use customer and the very real and significant challenges that building owners uh, are under pressure to respond to. Um, and so I think there is a lot of investment happening, but I am not certain that it is in companies that will still be with us in five years. Got it. That is, uh, I, I will say that is definitely the most unique answer we've had to that question. And I, I love it. And I appreciate the independent take on it and not just the, the market's finally caught up. I, I do really appreciate that. Um, well, let's, let's shift. Uh, we're going to jump into my favorite segment of the show. I call this For the Future. All right. And this is where we get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Brennan, you ready to play? I am ready to play. All right, let's do this. Question number one, what does Carbon Lighthouse look like one year from now? Great. Uh, okay, so our largest constraint in 2019 was the fact that we can only work in California, Hawaii, and the D.C. through Boston corridor. So we had... Uh, literally hundreds of customers asking us to work in their entire portfolios across the country. And in 2019, we could not. 
in 2020, I am very excited that we are going to be able to offer uh, value across clients' entire portfolio, so long as it's in the U.S. So for our customers in Canada, sorry, you're still going to need to wait. But <laughs> in the U.S. a year from now, and actually less than a year from now, we will be able to offer uh, useful services that boost NOI and bust carbon everywhere in the country. That's um, awesome. So that's, yeah, so that's prediction number two. Prediction or prediction number one. <laughs> that's the first. I was going to wait. Did I miss the first one already? <laughs> it was very concise. <laughs> uh, okay. Prediction number two uh, is we hit a huge tech milestone uh, just before Thanksgiving of this year. And it, without getting into too many technical details, our software and databases are unified now in a way they haven't been in previous years and in a way we've been working towards since 2014. This is part of and the secret sauce. This is definitely part of the secret sauce. But what the, with, what the unification lets us do now is we can split up our current offering into tons of different bite-sized pieces that all pull from the same underlying core software. Mm. And so this will let us be... Uh, let us offer many multiple products so that landlords and building owners who are looking for different things can all get what they are looking for. So tons more ways to boost NOI and cut carbon, all stemming from the same Clues software system, the Carbon Lighthouse Unified Engineering System. Wow. There's a whole lot going on in there. Uh, there's some big stuff. I don't want. I don't want to try and pull the secret sauce out of you here. I mean, I kind of want to have you spill the beans, but I also don't. So, <laughs> um, I want to be worry. like, I won't. And now it's, it's already live too late. <laughs> um, all right. Question number two, what's the housing market look like one year from now? Ooh. Okay. Hopefully you are getting this answer a lot. Otherwise, you are talking to a bunch of people who are ridiculously overconfident or just straight up. <laughs> Wait, so, hold on. So you know, you know the answers I get? It uh, covers the entire spectrum. Okay, good. That's so I'm great. Getting, I'm getting like every other week, I'm like, oh, man, sell. And then the next week, I'm like, do everything I can to buy. And then the next week, I got to get rid of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I think if you average your answers, you have something closer to the truth, which is we have no idea. So we're in a really interesting oh. spot right now, right? The economy is still growing. Interest rates. Jobs are still report growing. just came out said we created more jobs last quarter than expected. Yeah, exactly. So like things are good, but also there's a million flags that things are about to be bad. There's Auto loans on good. average are like six and a half years, three hundred some dollars a month you know, student loan debt ballooning, the number of student loans going to forbearance is increasing. Mm -hmm. Credit card personal lending is way above where it should be. Wages have not outpaced the rate of borrowing. Yeah. 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 Inverted yeah. yield curve. If you're looking for a factor predicting the recession, you can go find it. No problem. And yet yeah. we've had this for years now. This isn't new. So at the end of next year, one of three things can happen. <laughs> the economy could still be growing. Maybe it's growing less quickly, but it's growing and interest yep. rates are still low. And in that case, you would have wished you bought as much as you could. Or interest rates have spiked, the economy is contracting, and you wish you sold as much as you could. 
or somewhere between those two. (laughs) (laughs) So fair enough. I am the only person maybe who has given you an accurate prediction of the future. (laughs) However, it is useless. Next question. (laughs) That's all right. Hey, it's all good. All right. Uh, Question number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? (sighs) Okay. Here's the trend I think will continue that I wish would go away, which is There are not nearly enough companies like us. And part of this is because clients aren't demanding it enough. But the energy efficiency industry has been abysmal at meeting its forecasts and actually doing what it says it will do. So here's a a fun pop quiz uh, for, for you and our all of our listeners here. So there's a study done, 2,000 buildings, six years of actual utility meter data from before and after the projects. And the authors of this study, and these are are good professors. So MIT, UC Berkeley, Chicago. I know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Like these are very good statisticians. So they got all this data, the actual utility data, and they got the predictions that were made. So what the customer was sold on, what the promised savings would be for every, so here's a question for every dollar that was promised based on actual utility data, how many dollars or cents were delivered? Thirty-five. Hey, you're pretty good. Twenty-five. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I was so over the top. No, you weren't. You were amazing. (laughs) So for every Dollar promise, 25 cents were delivered. This is, I mean, can you imagine? No. Like, yeah, this is like your bank telling you, hey, the savings account has a 4% interest rate. Oh, actually, we only give you 1%. Sorry. This this would work for me if it was 25 cents to the dollar every year following. (laughs) (laughs) If it's 25 cents on the original dollar every year following in perpetuity, I'll take it all day. Yeah. So this is a problem that everyone kind of knows about and no one really talks about. And the way we can tell everyone knows about it is all of these firms, private equity, real estate investment trust, family office, all of these firms would be excited to return, say, better than 10% unlevered to investors. And that is like a 10-year payback. And yet all of these firms have a one or three year payback requirement for energy efficiency. And so this is actually right in line. If you have a three year payback requirement and savings yep. are a fourth of what's expected, yep. well, that's a 12 year return, which is actually almost exactly in line with what REITs are yielding investors. Mm-hmm. And so everyone knows this fact, but all customers need to do to resolve this is to say, put in the contract the dollar amount of savings you are promising me. And if we don't get what's expected, you're writing me a check. And Carbon Lighthouse remains the only firm that does this, much to my frustration. That's amazing, by the way. I hope you make a big deal out of every time you have to write a check. Like, we do. Like, don't announce it, right? Like, I mean, you, you don't want to run through the, the streets yelling, like, we were wrong and we paid our customer. But at the same time, it seems to be working for Domino's. <laughs> All right, you've now likened us to golf carts and dominoes. So it's not exactly 
the quality standard or like brand prestige we're going for. But at the same time, everyone loves golf and Domino's is nothing if not consistent in honoring their promises. So, oh, there we go. Let's take all the good without the bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, see, this is why the marketing team doesn't let me out in public. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, it's all good. I'm just looking for, I'm a simple guy, you know? I've got, um, you know, one of, one of our things here at Avail is, you know, we think of like the every person, the every man, the every girl, like landlord you know, the, and the common person. So it kind of fits perfectly for me. You know, I just right. bring some go. golf carts, you know what I mean? So if it <laughs> works for that, I can get it, you know? So, <laughs> all right. Number four here, the final of for the future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of technological advances? Yeah, this is a great question. And actually I'm going to tie it back to your very first question, which is, technology is dramatically changing the ESG landscape in two ways. ESG Uh, stands for? Sorry, Environmental, Social, and Governance. Mm. So it's the the acronym for pretty much when publicly held companies are trying to be held accountable for doing the right thing while also providing shareholder returns. Got Uh, Got it. So, and we're particularly focused on the E part of this, the environment. So first Technology is making environmental returns uh, measurable. And this has two profound implications. The first is that uh, environmental returns on a financial basis can now be held to the same standards and underwritten the way you would underwrite a financial return. Uh, And the second uh, is that it means uh, greenwashing is going to go away. Uh, So greenwashing or pretending... Is that just putting saying like you're green? Yeah, but not actually doing something. Okay, can I can I say this? And I don't want to be like I don't want to be putting you in a position to say something bad about anybody. So you can decline to answer if you want. Is that what lead is? Ooh, it's a good question. Uh, I think lead has some challenges when it comes to energy, in particular. Lead gets made fun of a lot for giving points for bike racks, uh, but there's a lot of really great points uh, parts of lead. Okay. So it is actually phenomenal to use recycled materials to be located by public transit. And as much crap as they get for bike racks, I biked to work every day for two years and I loved that there were bike racks. That Same. was really important Same. to me. <laughs> yep. So uh, people make fun of that, but it's actually really helpful. So okay. I think lead can improve on the energy part of it, but the rest of the standard has... Some they need, what they need to do is just personally introduce you to all the lead certified buildings that exist. Yes, that's correct. That's Come on, Lee, get on the program. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so the second main way, so greenwashing. So uh, if you can actually measure uh, the CO2 impacts of things, which we can now, you can't get away with greenwashing the same way. So uh, commercial real estate investors, and we're already seeing this, particularly those who have European LPs, but it has plenty of steam in the US as well, uh, are needing to take actual action uh, to do things that are environmentally uh, good. Mm-hmm. So that's the first set of changes is that things are now measurable. And so that gets rid of greenwashing and requires uh, companies to actually underwrite the return the way they should be responsibly. The second thing from technology that's going to dramatically change uh, the environment for commercial real estate uh, goes back to your first question. And this is that prices and costs have come down so, so quickly, so much 
that it is now substantially profitable uh, to do the right thing for the planet. And what we are seeing is that we are routinely providing not just above market returns, but very substantially above market returns, uh, like 2x, for example, Mm. uh, in exchange for doing things that cut carbon. So we've eliminated the emissions of eight and a half power plants, and we have made our customers about a quarter of a billion dollars in profit. And that's just the very beginning. And we have a lot more change on that. Anyone like me who grew up not far from a power plant, I grew up uh, less than 10 miles, I think, from the Limerick Power Plant, Pennsylvania. And then later on in life, I moved uh, probably about three miles down the street from Three Mile Island. Uh, (laughs) So uh, when you say eight power plants, I have a very distinct vision in my head of the cloud Mm. machine that I once grew up near. Um, Because that's what I thought the nuclear power plant was. That's where clouds were made. You you can't tell me that's not where clouds come from. I know it. I've seen it. Uh, Well, if you are three blocks, uh, that's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Where your clouds come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I have a very distinct vision and uh, of or visual of what that means. I I think that that's impressive. Um, So that's pretty cool, and I appreciate you going into those details. All right, we're going to wrap up. We're headed into the last three. This is so that our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Uh, the first one is, what are you reading? Ooh, what am I reading right now? Yeah. Uh, all right. So I am reading a somewhat dry book I'm finding helpful, which is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've only, I'm only just into it. So I'd actually rather summarize the book I just read. Uh, okay. Recently, which was uh, High Output Management, which was written by the founder and CEO of Intel, Andy Grove. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was phenomenal. Um, and yeah, High so. Output Management? Mm-hmm. I should probably read that. Sounds it's good. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. He has lots of fun stories. All right. Uh, question number two Who are you learning from? Oh, everyone. Absolutely everyone. Uh, just one of my favorite things in life. And I generally have the attitude if I can't learn from whoever I'm speaking with, I have not had nearly enough coffee that day and I am doing things wrong. You either had a lot of coffee today or really bored because we've been on the the call here for a little bit. (laughs) And I have learned a lot. (laughs) I've learned how Facebook works. What are you talking about? (laughs) That's right. First time you're on Facebook in eight years. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to bring you back. (laughs) <laughs> you too. Thank you, Nate. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, last one here. What inspires you? I think that is similar to the who do I learn from, which is I am inspired by a lot of people. Um, I am inspired by my wife very much and the immense positive energy and resilience she brings to every challenge she has had to overcome. Mm-hmm. I am inspired by my co-founder constantly, uh, but Raphael's earnestness and humility and just depth of empathy for everyone around him is extraordinary. I'm inspired by every single person on my executive team who I have the joy of interacting with every day and each person in a different way. Uh, I feel very blessed in this regard and that I'm surrounded by a team I could not be more humbled by and more honored to serve and to learn from. Very awesome. 
Brandon, thank you so much for your time, uh, hanging out with me on a Friday night and uh, sharing about what you're working on and uh, really the results that you guys have got going on. I can't wait to hear, send me the press release when you get the lead announces they're going to partner with you exclusively. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, we will. <laughs> before we head out, if anyone wants to get in touch with you directly or learn more about Carbon Light House, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, they should email, I think at this point, uh, probably info at carbonlighthouse.com or if it's press, uh, I think press at carbonlighthouse.com. One of those or the other. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Try <laughs> both of them. You know. <laughs> yeah. Or actually, no, I know what my team would want me to say. They should go to our website, sign up for the newsletter in the oh. pop-up box that shows up and then use the contact form. That's, that is what my team would like me to say. Car- carbonlighthouse.com. They do have a Facebook page, LinkedIn, Twitter, if you're into that. Yep. Yeah. The contact on uh, Crunchbase is info at carbonlights lighthouse.com. So there you go. Info Excellent. is a wow. good one there. <laughs> That's a true CEO when you can focus on all the, the bigger business items and you know you've got teams handling these details. Good on you. Thank you. It's uh, probably the single best thing I and Raphael have done is just get amazing people at the company and get the heck out of their way and stop meddling. Yeah, you know, so so for people listening on this, if you, if you need a good PR team, before the show, Brendan said, like, man, he has no idea all the, what they're doing because he's to, he has good people. They're taking care of everything for him. So uh, if you're trying to figure out a good PR team, there's probably one there. I don't know. Talk to him for that reference. <laughs> yeah, the takeaway should not be to poach our PR team. By the way. Yeah, don't pro, don't poach this PR team. It's all about like, hey, just find out how they they got a team to do that for them. I don't know. Yeah, um, you can hire them as a consultant. <laughs> there you go. An additional service. Oh, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate it. We're gonna cut the podcast and then the Facebook feed here for everybody who's watching. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks so much, Brendan. Let's keep in touch uh, for you guys. Uh, excited to see how you guys continue to move forward. Oh, thanks so much. You too, Nate, and really enjoyed the discussion. All right, we'll see you. All right, take care. Okay. That's when I hang up immediately, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then I ghost you for like 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it might happen, you know. All right, we're off Facebook. Um, That was great. I think that went well. It's funny that the first recording, you know, right when I was about to go live, it was like, do you want to try this new? I was like, yeah, I'll try the new one. And of course, I should have known that that was going to drop. <laughs> so I had to like kick yeah. it back up again. It's all good. But uh, very cool. Appreciate. Um, uh, really do appreciate your time. Uh, I've got my bike right here. Nice. Got the little yeah. uh, street cruiser. Now, I got to admit, embarrassingly, that my commute is 0.9 miles. Ah, uh, it's great. But, you know, we haven't. I, I sold my car when we were living in Nashville. We went down to a one-car family. Um, and, you know... Yeah, I, I will admit, like, it's nice to save gas, but also it was like, it was a financial incentive. I just didn't, we didn't have to have two. Yes. Um, but we haven't had a car since living in Chicago. So I look for the bike racks everywhere. We look for the walking, you know, routes and all that. And it's, it's great. So yeah, it's, we, uh, we sold our second car when we moved to San Francisco. Yeah. Cause parking was such a nightmare. If you, do, <laughs> if you build, if you, if you do are, and are able to, you know, uh, architect your life around not needing it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is so much better. Um, there's quite a few people. I want to 
you know, anytime I get an opportunity, if I, if I can, you know, add value here, I want to make sure I can, um, you know, maybe have your team like go through some of my past episodes. I can't help but believe there's got to be some sort of overlap or, you know, high level discussions that you could have with some of the past guests. I mean, we've had, uh, you know, Torstein from Crowd Street, you know, his customers could be your customers because they, you know, they're, they're large syndications, City Vest, um, Reonomy, um, you know, some Sorry, of the. Did you just say Rihanna? Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't it's heard like of Rihanna got into. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a handful of companies, um, you know, that I think potentially um, there's something there. Obligo, which does New York, uh, they do rental deposits, but they're working with building owners so that the building owner no longer has to require the rental deposit so that they're more appealing to renters moving in. Yeah. Um, Yale Fox with rent logic. Uh, rent logic is a, a New York based. So only New York, but they do building ratings. So based on performance of the building, everything. And then they grade it just like a restaurant. Um, they have a third party, uh, like a nonprofit board that's associated to the company. Basically the board is people who are not just at the company though. It's independent other people and they use city complaint records and the maintenance stuff and all this other stuff. They give building great. Uh, interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So, and then obviously he's selling right to the owners and his value yeah. prop on that is like, not only do tenants now believe that they're moving into a A or a B grade building, but if you're a B grade building, now you have something quantifiable to say you are. And if you wanted to get to an A building, what's the added value of being an A building in Manhattan? So yeah, I think that there's some. That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there, there's some clear overlap. As far as I'm concerned, I feel like there's clear yeah. overlap. I can't imagine you guys ever leaving New York City though. Like I don't think you could ever actually implement the whole city. It's, so, <laughs> it's just so there's, many buildings. So there's ten thousand high rises in New York. Um, which is a lot, but we're already in about 700 buildings. So there will come a time when we are in substantively every building in Manhattan. That's, that's amazing. Good on you guys. That's, that's huge market penetration. Yeah, it's huge. So far, so good. There is a lot left to go to stop climate change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good on you guys. Go get there. I, I think it's pretty cool. I love the approach. I think it, it's a win for everybody. So maybe one day the public sector will figure that out. That's possible. Yeah. We'll, we'll get them there. In time. In I appreciate your time. Uh, I'm going to get this over to my audio guy this weekend. Um, we should probably have this up by Monday. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Nate, yeah. Thank you so much. And yeah, looking forward to keeping in touch and I'll have my team go through and figure out if there's people we want intros to. Cool. Um, you bet. Yeah. And that, that may be six months right now. We don't have a channel partnership, like a marketing partnership. So we need resources before we can do that. I know that problem all too well. Yes. <laughs> I know that problem all too well. I'm totally right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Right. Yeah. We'll appreciate Have it. Great, yeah. You too. Uh, all right. We'll see you. Holidays. All right. yeah, thanks. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the TechNest podcast. Hey, don't forget you can get on the email list. You never miss an upcoming episode. That's technest.io. That's T-E-C-H. N-E-S-T.io. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the App Store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. 
And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.